the third discussion we've had on Elijah. It's an interesting Old Testament figure. He was, of course, a prophet of God, if you remember. He was from the country. He's from Tishbe. And the Lord raised him up to be a prophet to the northern kingdom to speak to Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. And last week we saw how Elijah was used by God to lead in this showdown where he gathered the prophets of Baal, this false god that Ahab and Jezebel worshipped. And he challenged them to call out on their God. He called out on his God. God answered him by fire. Remember that story on Mount Carmel? And we saw that one praying person can make a difference. And we also saw that after he called on God and God sent fire to show people that he was the one true God, Elijah prayed and God sent rain. For three years there had been no rain. God had sent a famine on the land, a drought on the land because of the wickedness of Ahab. But when... Uh, Elijah prayed, God sent rain again, and it's just remarkable how God responded to the prayers of Elijah. So tonight I want to talk to you about uh, depression, discouragement, anxiety, because we're going to see that after uh, Elijah has this mountaintop experience, he goes to a very deep valley, and there's a lot for us to learn about valleys by seeing how Elijah deals with this, how God deals with this in Elijah's life. And so we've got a lot of important things to say tonight. So we're really glad um, that you're here. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started here in just a moment. Father, uh, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we're so grateful for your goodness and grace and mercy and love. We're, we're grateful, Lord, for your presence here. We're grateful for your word. It is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And I pray, God, that you would just draw near to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the truths of Scripture and not just see them, but take them and apply them to our lives. Lord, I pray that tonight you would really help people because the things we're going to study that were going on in Elijah's life in some way, shape, or form go on in all, all of our lives. God, I pray that you'd really give us some, some guidance, some help in these areas. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we get into the gist of what's happening here in chapter 19, I want to make three, three opening comments about uh, depression, discouragement. Uh, you could give what Elijah was going through many different labels. Three opening comments to kind of understand uh, some foundational things before we jump into the passage and see what God does in Elijah's life. First of all, as we think about depression, discouragement, if it can happen to Elijah, it can happen to you. Right? If it can happen to Elijah, it can happen to you. Elijah was a great man of God. I mean, he stood on a mountain in the showdown with the prophets of Baal, prayed, called out on God's name, and God sent fire. That's pretty awesome, right? I mean, this guy was a powerful man of God. But the next scene, we're going to see Elijah really, really struggling with depression and fear and discouragement and so it's just kind of a teachable moment for us if it can happen to elijah it can happen to us some of the great servants of god through church history have dealt with with what they call the dark night of the soul dealt with depression one of my favorite preachers is charles spurgeon he was a great preacher of the uh, 19th century preached in london england uh, he was pastoring a megachurch before there was a such thing as megachurches. I mean, thousands would come every week to hear him preach. And uh, Spurgeon famously dealt with some, some long, severe bouts of depression. And he was a 
a magnificent man of God, and yet he struggled with this. And so if it can happen to people like Elijah, it can happen to people like Spurgeon, it can happen to you and to me. We see David over in Psalm 42. He dealt with long periods of depression. Uh, Why are you downcast, O my soul? David would ask himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And so we see that this is a problem that we all are prone to deal with. Why? Because we're weak, right? And we live in a fallen world, and we're going to encounter things that are difficult. And so, first of all, it can happen to Elijah, it can happen to you. Number two, be on the lookout after a great victory. Say, wait, when, when should I be on the lookout for this valley of depression, this valley of discouragement? Be on the lookout after a great victory. Uh, you see that often when there's great victories in the Bible, they're followed with great difficulty. What was the, the victory? Elijah's on Mount Carmel. He prays. God sends fire. He prays. God sends rain. I mean, God is, is responding to Elijah in magnificent ways. Elijah saw God move in mighty ways, but then he comes off the mountain and he gets into trouble. Look what it says there in uh, chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel, this is verse 1, all that Elijah had done. And remember, Jezebel was kind of a leader of Baal worship in Israel. And she heard from Ahab that Elijah had all her Baal prophets killed. And Jezebel was a wicked woman. She was not going to take that well. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she said, just like you killed them, I want to make sure you're killed by tomorrow. So Jezebel makes this threat. Now, should, Eli- should Elijah have been scared by Jezebel? Had God already protected Elijah from Ahab's wrath earlier in chapter 17? Did God protect him there on Mount Carmel? Absolutely. But he was scared of Jezebel. Look what it says in the next verse. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And so we see, after this great victory, all of a sudden he's confronted with this new threat, this new problem, and he is fearful for his life, and he goes into this, this valley. And so be on the lookout after a great victory. It's often that you will experience tough times after you've gone through a very wonderful time. Another example is found over in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John on a mountain with him. And he, he's transfigured before them. Do you remember this story? His garments become sparkling white. His face is shining like the sun. Peter, James, and John hear, see this. They hear a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I mean, that ain't mountaintop experience. They come off the mountain, and they're faced with a demon-possessed boy. And the other disciples could not cast the demon out of this boy. And everyone's in turmoil. They come off the mountain, and they face this great challenge, this great difficulty. And so, be on the lookout. After a great victory. When times are going good, when times are going good, you need to kind of be on the lookout because that's when the wheels can come off and, and Satan can come after you or, or your old sin nature can get the best of you. We need to be looking out after a great victory. Here's the third kind of opening comment. And this is to encourage you. We should face valleys expectantly. Valleys are a reality in our life. They are going to come, right? We're going to face valleys, but face them expectantly because God works in the valleys. As a matter of fact, God probably does more in our lives in the valleys than he does on the mountaintops, correct? Billy Graham is famous for saying, mountaintops are for inspiration, 
but fruit is grown in the valley. Now, why, let's just talk for a minute. Why do you think we're more prone to grow spiritually in the valley than we are on the mountaintop? Why, just talk to me for a minute. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that's the case? Yeah, you say, it remind, the valleys remind you that I need God. And the valleys get you listening for God. I remember uh, early on in our marriage, Claire and I went through a, 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 a health issue with her and, 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 it, and it scared us. We were newlyweds and we didn't know what was going on. And, and I remember all of a sudden, man, we were praying like we never prayed before. And it took that valley, I mean, to really get us, uh, you know, seeking God's face. And God uses those things in our life. And so we need to face valleys expectantly because even though they're hard and they're not any fun, no one would choose a valley, even though they're difficult, God uses valleys. You can expect that you're going to come on the other side of the valley, if you're listening, you're going to come through the valley stronger in your faith than you were. And this is what the Bible says over in James. Turn to James, the New Testament. James chapter 1, right from the book of Hebrews. Verse 2, James chapter 1, verse 2. James writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And that's counterintuitive, right? Be joyful about your trials. That's just not how we think. We think, well, when things are good, then we'll be in a good place. When things are bad, we'll be in a, a, a difficult place. But he's saying when you go through tough times, you ought to rejoice. Why should you rejoice when you go through trials? Well, look what he says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here's what James is saying. You should rejoice when you go through difficulties because God is using those using those difficulties to build your character. You're going to come through the valley stronger than you were. So even though it's not fun, you can rejoice because God's got it in his hands, God's in control, and God's going to use it in your life. So, three opening comments. If it can happen to Elijah, it can happen to you. Don't think that you're beyond discouragement, deep discouragement. Don't think you're beyond depression. Don't think you're beyond anxiety. If it can happen to Elijah, it can happen to you. Be on the lookout after a great victory and face valleys expectantly. Now, I'm going to give you just kind of three characteristics about Elijah that we see here in this passage that help us understand what was going on emotionally in his life. First of all, Elijah was fearful. Back in 1 Kings 19, look what the Bible says. 1 Kings 19, let me get there. It says, verse 3, and he was afraid he was afraid and rose and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba and so fear is often a precursor to discouragement often a precursor to uh, depression uh, sometimes fear can rule our lives Full, uh, fear can can really uh, weigh us down and Elijah was definitely fearful and all of us have things that we fear over in the book of Job when Job's talking to his friends he says the things that I feared have come upon me Think about all that Job lost. He feared losing his family. He feared losing his livelihood. He feared losing his reputation. He lost it all. He said, the things I feared, they've happened to me. That's what I'm walking through. And so we all have fears in our life. And, and Elijah let that fear get to him. Jezebel was hunting him down. She wanted to kill him. He was fearful. Secondly, he was forgetful. 
he was forgetful. Verse 4, he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, uh, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And so he wants, he wants to die. I think he had forgotten chapter 18, right? He'd forgotten what God had just done. I mean, how God had showed himself with power, how God had protected and preserved his life. He was forgetful. And I, this is very important. I think sometimes we can trace our, our despair, our discouragement, our depression back to forgetfulness, where we have simply forgotten God's goodness. We've forgotten how God has delivered us in the past, how God has worked in our lives in the past, and we think that God's not going to come through all of a sudden. When he's shown himself faithful over and over and over again. But we face something so difficult, we think, well, God can't, God can't handle this one. And he did some stuff in the past, but this is too big for God. And we get forgetful, don't we? And we get forgetful and think, we've got to handle it. We've got to deal with it. We've got to bear up under the burden. Then we get depressed. And so Elijah was fearful. Elijah was forgetful. Third, Elijah was fatigued. He was fatigued. Back up with me to uh, chapter 18. After he has this showdown on Mount Carmel, it starts to rain. He says, the sky uh, grew black, verse 45, with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. So he had run miles from Carmel to Jezreel. And now he runs into the wilderness. He, I think he was just exhausted. He'd been serving the Lord. The, you know, the, the pressure of, of the showdown on Mount Carmel. And I think he was mentally, physically fatigued. And let me just tell you, you can trace, we'll talk about this in a moment, a lot of times you can trace depression and discouragement to, to fatigue. And Elijah was fatigued in his life. And so those are three things going on in Elijah's life that we need to look for in our own lives because those are sure indicators that we may be dealing with these things. So, let me, let me tell you what's not the cure for depression before we get into what God does in his life. Two things, and these are there in your notes. Soli solitariness, solitariness, S-O-L-I-T-A-R-I-N-E-S-S, -S, in other words, getting alone, is not the cure for depression. Solitariness is not the cure for depression. Look what happens in verse 4. He himself, oh, back to verse 3. It says, he was afraid, arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So he doesn't want his servant with him. Then what does he do? Verse 4, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, and requested for himself that he might die. So he gets totally alone. He leaves his servant, then he goes farther into the wilderness. He's going to spend some time by himself. Listen to me. That is not the cure. There's something in us that when we're hurting, when we're feeling bad, when we're spiritually erect, emotionally erect, we want to get by ourselves. But that's the time we need people the most. Right? We want to get by ourselves, but we really need folks. And so resist that impulse, resist that urge when you don't feel right, when you don't feel like you need to emotionally or spiritually or physically. Res resist the impulse to get alone, to just close everybody out. Because that's when you need people the most. Uh, I I've seen people go through uh, very difficult times, and their, their, their instinct is to, okay, I'm going through difficult times, my life is a wreck, I need to stop going to church. Because, I, you know, I don't need to go to church when my life is a wreck. And so they walk away from the fellowship just when they need the fellowship the most. Does that make sense? 
And by the way, the church is not a, a display, a museum for everybody that's got their life together. The church is a hospital for sinners because we all got issues, right? All of us. And so we think, well, I've got to have my life right to go to church. We're missing the point of church. We're, we're missing what it's all about. You, you listen, you don't clean up your life to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus to clean up your life, right? And so th- this, this lie that Satan whispers in your ear, well, your life's a mess, and you don't need to go to church. You've got to figure all this out, and then you can get back. But, you, you know, you need to stay away from those people. They're going to judge. They're going to look down on you. They're gonna, and, they're, and, and Satan's whispering in your ear, and he wants to keep you away from everybody just when you need them the most. Getting off by yourself is not the cure for depression. It's not the cure for anxiety. It's not the cure for discouragement. You need to be around folks even if you don't feel like it. Secondly, this is important, self-pity is not the cure for depression. Verse 4, look what he says. He says, he wanted to die. He requested for himself that he might die. He says, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And look what he says down in verses 9 and 10. He says, he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous. Listen to what he says. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets and with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. In other words, here's what Elijah's saying. I've been serving you, God. I've been faithful. My life should not be this, this, this hard. I mean, if I'm faithful to you, God, I should never go through any difficulty. That's what he's saying there, right? And you know what? We think the exact same way. God, if I'm doing good, you ought to treat me good. If, I, if I'm not doing good, then I should expect hard times. But man, when I'm doing, God, when I'm doing good, I, I should expect good, not hardship. And when hardship comes, we question the character of God. We question if God really loves us, right? God really cares about us. We, we lose perspective. And so this idea of self-pity. Now, I'm serving the Lord. I'm, I'm doing my best, and my life's falling apart, and I'm, I don't deserve this. That, that's, that, that'll never get you to the cure. That'll just make things worse. So watch out for self-pity. Avo- avoid it like the plague, because it'll come creeping in. It's just our old sin nature wants to just say, woe is me, woe is me. I've been faithful. I've been serving. I've been good. But God is, is doing this to me. God must be mad at me. God doesn't like me. That self-pity never brings you to the cure. And so we see Elijah show us what not to do. When you're struggling with with, with depression, discouragement, when you're struggling, don't get alone and don't get to a place of self-pity. So, here's the question. Wait, how do we deal with discouragement and depression? By the way, you know these issues we're talking about are a big issue in our society, don't you? Now more than ever. I mean, just, just, just talk to doctors and medical professionals and pharmacists, and I'm telling you, the, 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 the amount of things that are being prescribed just for these issues are are off the charts. Now, I'm not saying that those things may not be necessary in some situations. That's doctors. Those are medical professionals. Th- those are the experts. I'm not going to say that there's never a time when, when some things may help through a certain period of someone's life. Uh, I believe God's given man common grace to figure out some things, and, and we might be able to, to discover some things uh, through through medicine that can help us through a certain period if there's there's imbalances. So I, I'm not saying that God can't use that stuff, but I, what I am saying is our society depends way too much on that stuff. Way too much. I, I, would, I would even say that, that 
a lot of the people that use that stuff and depend on that stuff don't need it. They need to depend upon God. And the issue is not medicine to help you get to a, 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 a tough spot. The issue is what are you depending on? Are you depending on the medicine or are you depending upon the Lord? But this is a, this is a major issue, a major, major issue. And so how do we deal with this discouragement? How do we deal with this depression? Well, let me give you four thoughts that come from this text, and then we'll, uh, we'll be through tonight. Number one, we need to seek rest and refreshment. Seek rest and refreshment. What does God do for Elijah when he finds him in the wilderness wanting to die? How does God minister to him? Look what happens in verse 5. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. In other words, Elijah, you need to give some attention to your physical condition. Because again, your physical condition can, can affect your mental condition, your emotional condition. Arise and eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and then what did he do? What did he do next? Lay down again, got some sleep. The angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise, eat, uh, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days, 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So before God begins to deal with his spiritual issues, God deals with his physical issues. Isn't that interesting? Eat. Here's some cake with raisins and here's some water and God prepared all that for him. Uh, you know, eat. That, that's what you need to do. You need to rest. You need to sleep. And so we see here God dealing with his physical condition. So, let me just give you a heads up. If you come talk to me and you say, if you're sitting in my office, you say, Wade, I'm, I'm really, really depressed, uh, I'm, or I'm really, really anxious, or I'm frazzled, or I'm discouraged, or if you're dealing with some kind of dark night of the soul, some emotional situation going on in your life, one of the first things I want to ask you is, uh, are you sleeping at night? Are you, what's your diet like? Are you eating right? Because there are some spiritual issues you've got to get to, and we'll get to those when, you, when we talk. But we need to make sure, first of all, that you're not, you're not dismissing your physical condition uh, because if your physical condition is not like it needs to be, it's not going to help you to heal the way you need to heal. So we need to seek rest and refreshment. If you're going through a dark night of the soul, if you're going through a valley in your life, I want to suggest that you find some time to get away. And... When I say get away, I think your getting away should be commensurate with what's going on in your life. So, for example, if you just had a bad day, you don't need a two-week retreat in the mountains, okay? Okay, or maybe you do, but, you know, if, you know, just, you know, you had to take the dog to the vet, and you had a flat tire, and you're just having a bad day. Well, I'm not saying you need to go into the wilderness and just, you know, have this, this, this time to rest, and that's not what I'm saying at all. Um... If you're, having, if you're having a really bad week and you feel some anxiety, feel some discouragement, maybe, maybe take a couple hours and, and, and just find some time to rest, you know, have some quiet time, drink a cup of coffee, you know, read your Bible, you know, make sure you get a good, good sleep at night. You just need that time, that rest and refreshment in your life. If you're going through something that's prolonged and very difficult, there may be a time when you need to get away. Uh, for example, there's a... There's a uh, a ministry out in Colorado that deals with uh, pastors and, and staff families, and they have these these couples that come in. They're in ministry, you know, pastors and staff members, and and their marriage is falling apart, and they're going through very difficult times. This center is intended for them to go out and just live there 
for a time period for you know a week, maybe two weeks, to get some in-depth counseling, some some time away from the pressure cooker of ministry. And and it, it, when you know when your when your marriage is about to end and you're pastoring a church, that may mean you need to get away for an extended period of time. One of my uh, one of my heroes is Johnny Hunt. He's a pastor of First Baptist Church, Woodstock. Anybody ever, ever heard of Johnny Hunt preach? Uh, great preacher. And Woodstock's a mega, mega church. Well, a few years ago, he was pastoring this mega church, thousands of people. And he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he led through some very important strategic things in the convention. And after his time, he served two years as the president, and uh, which is as, far, as long as you can serve as president. He came off the presidency. Came back to his church that summer, I think the summer of 2000, what, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. Came back to his church, and he described it like this. He said, I just felt dead on the inside. He was fatigued. He was exhausted mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And he got to the point where he felt like he could not get in the pulpit and preach. And he went and talked to his leadership, talked to his wife, and, and his church gave him an extended time away. Said, listen, you need to take a few months, and, and, and they put him in some counseling and some things. And now I listened to him. I was listening to him today on my way home for lunch. He was preaching with power and authority, but his getting away was commensurate. I mean, he was about to crash and burn, and his getting away was commensurate with, you know, what was going on in his life. And so, seek rest and refreshment. Make sure you, if you, if you need, if you need to get away, if you need to find some time to to get away from the pressure cooker, if you need to find some time just to just to rest well, then then do that. Um, seek rest and refreshment. You say, wait, well, I don't have the, you know, I can't go on a vacation or a retreat. I don't have those resources. I can't get away from work or, or whatnot. Well, just take a Saturday and turn your cell phone off. Let's just be practical, right? Uh, you know, lock yourself out of Facebook and just spend some time away from everybody. Uh, I, now, I know I just said don't get alone, but I'm saying you might need some time to just kind of declutter your life a little bit from the noise. And so have that time to just get, get, get away and get a good night's rest and eat a good meal and, uh, and, and seek that rest and refreshment because the physical is going to play into the healing process. I don't think you'll heal as quickly if the physical is not like it needs to be. Does that make sense? All right, so seek rest and refreshment. That's what God did for Elijah. First thing he did was feed him and tell him to sleep. Now what's the second thing we need to do to deal with discouragement and depression? We need to get before the Lord. I can't emphasize enough. Get before God. Get before the Lord. Get in His presence. There's nothing so healing as getting in the presence of God. So look what happens in verse 8. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, he, he wants Elijah to go into Mount Horeb. By the way, Mount Horeb was the same as Mount Sinai, a different name from Mount Sinai. This is where Moses met with God. Remember that whole story, burning bush, and he goes up on the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments? Same mountain. I believe this is where the mountain Paul came to when he was in the deserts of Arabia for three years after his conversion. God brought these godly men here to speak into their lives and to do something major in their lives. So he brings them to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. And there are three reasons it's important that we get before the Lord. We're going to see this played out in this section. First of all, when you get before the Lord, it will allow you to gaze at God. Gaze at God. Verse 9. He came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, but the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone, alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
And so he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Now remember, Elijah was forgetful, right? He'd forgotten how powerful God was. So God's about to remind him of how powerful he is. Look what happens. And behold, he goes to this mountain. The Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. But after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And so the Lord's showing his power here. He's passing by. And he's causing all these physical elements to, to, uh, to, to transpire around Elijah. The earthquake and the wind and the fire. And I think what he's doing here is he's just reminding Elijah of who he is. Remember, I'm God. Remember, I'm the one in control. Remember, I'm the one that caused the fire to fall. And by shaking this mountain and causing these physical elements to transpire all around him, he was reminding Elijah of who he was. And so we need some time when we're going through discouragement. We need to take some time and just gaze at God. Remember who God is. Now, how do we do that practically? How do we gaze at God practically? Any ideas? How do you get your focus on God? Convert, talk to him, right? Yeah, that's one great way. How? Get in the Bible, right? How do we know who God is, what he's like, his power, his authority, his might, his grace? You get in the Word. The Word tells us that. How else? But yeah, fast. Yeah, fast. Seek God. I wanna, I'm going to not do with something, so I'll, I'll miss that thing, and it'll remind me of how much I need God. Yeah. How else? How do we gaze at God? How do we get our focus on God? Uh, med- yeah, meditation. Stop and, and, and think about the Lord. Think about what you've read. Uh, think deep thoughts about God. Let's go back to fast just for a minute. Does fasting have to be just food? What are some other things you could fast from? Man, TV. What else? What, the world. What else? What else? TV. Computer. What else? Phone. What else? Yeah, yeah, well, can't make some, yeah, maybe uh, need some some time away from that. Okay, you know, talking about phones. You know, our lives are so tied to our phones. Uh, we were watching a, a a movie from the '80s the other day. I was showing my kids this movie, uh, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." Remember that movie? And uh, I had fond memories of that movie, so I want to show my boys, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." And in the in the movie, the teenage girl is talking on the phone to her a boyfriend or something, and and. It's, it's the phone on the wall, and it's got the long cord. And we just stopped and explained to the boys, that's all we had. That's all we had, that phone right there. You had to stand in the kitchen and talk on the phone if you're going to talk to anybody. That's all we and And it was funny because about that time, that night, Cameron had my wife's phone and was FaceTiming a friend of his on his mom's phone. And they're looking at each other on the phone. So it's hard for them to imagine. But we're so tethered to our phones now, aren't we? If I leave my house and and... I forget my phone, you know what I do? I turn around and go back and get it. I can't imagine going a morning without my phone. Can you? I, I can't imagine that. We're so, but it, what, we did it beforehand, didn't we? We did it beforehand. As a matter of fact, I remember when uh, w- w- church in Memphis first called me to be their pastor. I met with the personnel committee and all that, and I said, listen, I, I got one request. And they said, what? I said, would you either get me a beeper or a phone? <laughs> They went with the phone. I'm glad. Uh, no, no beepers around anymore. But uh, but I, before that, before I, I I didn't have a cell phone. Any of that it was just it was just uh, we just did it without. So 
Um, we, we can fast from some things that, that really get our attention um, and, and really focus on gazing at God, um, getting our focus on Him. Because listen, when you're, when you're depressed, when you're discouraged, your eyes tend to focus on yourself, don't they? You tend to focus on you, how bad you're hurting, how, how, how miserable you are, and you're looking at you, 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 you. Well, God said to Elijah, stop looking at yourself and look at me. Look at me. And there's something healing when you take your eyes off of yourself and place them on God. Something very healing. And so you've got to gaze at God. Number two, you've got to listen to God. You've got to listen to God. So it says there in verse 11, The Lord was passing by, a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, and the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down uh, your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. But the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, shall, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abimolah, you shall anoint his prophet in your place. It shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. So what's going on here? God is speaking to Elijah. And he's not in the wind, he's not in the earthquake, he's not in the fire. It says there, he speaks to him in a, some translations say, a still, small voice. This speaks of God's tenderness. And God has some things that he wants to say to Elijah. And here's what he says to Elijah, summing it up. He says, Elijah, I'm in control. I've got a plan. Just because you're discouraged does not mean that I've lost control of things. I'm in control. And Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. Get up. Go and say this to this king, say this to this king. I want you to preach this over here, preach this over there. He gives him instructions. He's telling Elijah, Elijah, I'm not through with you yet. Get back in the game. And when we let God speak to us in a tender, still, small voice, we get in his word, let him speak into our lives through his word, his message will, will be uh, probably very, very similar when we're discouraged and depressed. Remember, I'm in control. And I'm not through with your life. I want you to get up and serve me. I want you to get up and obey me. So we need that time where we, where we listen to God and listen to him as he speaks tenderly to us through his word. Now here in 1 Kings 19, he speaks in an audible voice. It says there a voice came and spoke to him. But we have the, uh, the, the Bible as the way that God speaks to us today, the, the completed canon of scripture. So listen to God, and he'll give you the instruction, the encouragement you need to keep on keeping on. And here's the third thing. Stand on truth. Stand on truth. Now remember, Elijah had said, I'm the only one left that loves God, that serves God in Israel. But look what the Lord says to him in verse 18. He says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah was lying to himself. I'm the only one that serves God. And God said, no, no, no. There's 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And you know what? Elijah needed to be reminded of that truth and stand on truth. Because listen to me. 
When you're discouraged, this is so important. If you hadn't heard anything else I say, listen to this. When you're discouraged, when you're depressed, that's when Satan loves to sit on your shoulder and whisper into your ear. Because when he knows that you're down and out, that's when he wants to destroy you. He wants to, he wants to deliver the final blow. And the way Satan operates is through deceit, right? The Bible calls him the father of lies. He's a deceiver. And so Satan loves to lie. And when you're discouraged and you're depressed, you can find yourself believing lies, things that are not true. So-and-so doesn't like me. They don't care about me. Uh, this is never going to happen. I'm never going to get through this. And you're, and, you're, and you're believing lies. So when, when, when lies are being spoken into your life, those fiery darts of Satan, that's when you need to combat it with what? Truth. To remind you of what's really true. And truth is found in the Word of God. So don't believe lies. Don't let lies dictate and rule your life. Stand on the truth. Get in the Word and say, this is true. Satan may say, God has abandoned you. The Bible says God will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? So who do you listen to? Do you listen to Satan or you listen to the truth of the Word of God? Stand on truth. And the truth of God's Word will carry you through that time. As a matter of fact, men don't want to do this in public. But you need to learn to talk to yourself. All right? Okay, don't, I mean, don't do it out in public, all right, because people think you're kind of crazy, all right? But you need to learn how to speak truth into your life. Remind yourself of what the Bible says. Remind yourself that God's in control. Remind yourself that God is sovereign and on his throne. Remind yourself that God loves you and he proved it at Calvary. Remind yourself of these things. Talk truth to yourself. Speak truth to yourself, and it will help you to overcome the lies that Satan is surely whispering in your ears. I, I just can't tell you the number of people I've, I've, I've talked to and, and dealt with and walked through things with, and, and they, they come to me and they're, they're living in lies. They're believing lies. They're being deceived by Satan, and they're not healing. They're not, they're not getting through it. They're not getting past it because they're, they're building their life on lies, not on the truth. And so even when you don't feel like getting into the Word of God, you need truth. Get in God's Word. So, what do you do? Seek rest and refreshment. Number two, get before the Lord. Get before the Lord. Gaze at Him. Listen to Him. Stand on the truth that God shows you. Get before the Lord. That is the most important way that we deal with discouragement and depression. There's no, and by the way, there's no snap your fingers and depression is through. There's no snap your fingers and I'm no longer anxious. I'm no, there's no snap your fingers, I'm no longer discouraged. It's a process. It takes time and consistency of just getting before the Lord and letting Him heal you when He feels it is the right time. Here's the third thing. We'll have time for questions in a few moments. Ask God for a close personal friend. Again, solitariness is not the answer. We need to be around folks and Often it's good if we can have someone in our life that, that we can really be honest with, we can really be transparent with. It's interesting that as Elijah deals with this, this discouragement, this fear, and God says, I'm not through with you yet, as he sends Elijah back out, he does not send him alone. Look what happens in verse 19. Well, back up to uh, verse 16. He says, you're going to go to Jehu, the son of Nimshi, 
You shall anoint him king over Israel and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abimola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So I want you to go anoint this king. I want you to go anoint the next prophet who's going to take over for you. That's what he leaves to do from Mount Sinai. It says, he departed from there, verse 19, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was playing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with a 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him, which was symbolic of, of God's going to, going to use you the way he used me. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and, what, ministered to him. So God gave him an Elisha to walk along, minister to him, and we see as the story develops how close Elijah and Elisha became. And I believe that Elisha became Elijah's rock. As he sent him back out, he did not send him alone. And so ask God to provide that person. That person may already be in your life, or they may not be in your life yet, but ask God to provide that person that you can get the, the strength and the fellowship, someone you can be absolutely honest and transparent with. You see, God has designed us, and this is in your notes, God has designed us to live in friendship, fellowship, and community with one another. So don't try to beat this thing. Don't try to beat depression by yourself. Don't try to beat anxiety by yourself. Don't try to beat discouragement by yourself. Get some, some folks in your life that care. Ask, if you don't have someone, ask God to show you that person. Ask God for a close, personal friend, someone you can be real with. And God will use that person just like he used Elisha in Elijah's life. We need other folks. And if you look all throughout the Bible, Paul had missionary companions with him. He needed folks to encourage him through the difficult times. We need a close personal friend. Paul had a you know, Barnabas in his life, an encourager in his life, and we need that Barnabas in our lives as well. So ask God for that. David had Jonathan. We could go on and on. Ask God for a close personal friend. And the fourth thing is this. And this is, this is key. Understand that your greatest needs are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Understand that your greatest needs are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Back up with me to verse 16. He tells him to go anoint Jehu, king of Israel, Elisha, son of Shaphat. You will anoint his prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel. Jehu shall fall put to death. One who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed into Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, what's happening here? God was telling Elijah, I'm not through with you yet. I want you to go and do these things, right? Everybody see that? But God was also saying, from a big picture perspective, I'm not through with Israel yet. I've got a remnant there who are going to be faithful to me. Have you ever thought about why God did not just completely wipe Israel off the face of the map? They were so rebellious. They worshipped false gods. They disobeyed God. They, they over in the book of Elijah, I've just been reading this lately, there's, there's this vision of the temple that, that the Lord gives Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, uh, he, he sees this vision of the leaders, the princes and the, the priests and the, the, the other leaders in Israel uh, worshipping with their back towards the temple facing the false gods they're worshiping. And so they turned their back to God. Why didn't God just wipe them out? The answer is God had a plan for Israel, right? His plan was to one day through them send a Messiah named Jesus. 
So listen to me. I want you to hear me on this. This is not just some old, ancient, historical book. This is God's plan to provide you a Savior. When he says, I've, I still have 7,000 prophets, and I've still got a plan for Israel, and I'm not through with you, I'm not through with the nation yet, he's saying, I'm going to preserve my people so one day I can send a Savior through the, through the Jewish people. And so all this history is ultimately about God's big picture plan of redemption. It's ultimately about you and me, God sending us a Savior. In other words, God didn't just stop with, with these different ways of dealing with Elijah's problems. God dealt with our biggest problem by sending us a Savior named Jesus, right? And we need to understand that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and Jesus rose from the grave, that he meets our deepest needs, our need for forgiveness, our need for life transformation. He, I'm going to talk about this Sunday morning. He satisfies our soul. He gives us the satisfaction we need. We find our fulfillment in him, our purpose in him. Understand, your greatest needs are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. So, it's important to talk to folks, and it's important for, to do counseling, and, and medicine can be necessary for a time and a season, but don't, don't forget that ultimately your healing, your deepest needs come through Jesus. It, listen, it's all about Him. It really is. It's all about Jesus, and, and sometimes when we're hurting, we forget that it's all about Him, and we forget that He's the cure, that He's the one that helps, that He's the one that can carry us through, and we do everything but go to Christ and find our satisfaction in Him. So how do you deal with discouragement and depression? Seek rest and refreshment. Get before the Lord. Ask God for a close personal friend. Understand that your greatest needs are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. That's a pretty good template, I think. A pretty good starting place to to try to discern how you get through these valleys of emotional, spiritual despair and how you begin to go through that healing process by God's grace and for God's glory.